With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Bless Your Boys podcast. BlessYourBoys.com is your home for all things Detroit Tigers baseball on the SB Nation platform. Each week, join hosts Brandon Day and Ashley McLennan as we bring you the best from around the world of baseball from a Detroit Tigers perspective. Welcome back, everyone. This is a new episode of the Bless You Boys podcast. BlessYouBoys.com is your home for all things Detroit Tigers baseball on the SB Nation platform. I'm your host, Brandon Day. With me, my co-host, Ashley McLennan. Ashley, how are we doing tonight? Not too bad. I just had to pull a Karen on some TELUS customer service um, <laughs> online, but uh, now, I'm, now I'm happier. I was supposed to get a free Google Hub with my phone when I bought a new phone. And then it just never came. And they're like, oh, well, you know, those are like limited time offers. And I'm like, well, then somebody might have mentioned when I purchased it that I wasn't going to get it. Like, <laughs> I just thought it was going to come with my phone and then it never came. So anyway, I was, yeah. I was, I tried to be polite about it. Like, I know customer service reps don't get paid enough to deal with bullshit, but you know, it, I, I want my Google hub. Yeah. Where's my hub, y'all? <sighs> yeah. So annoying. Yeah, so it goes. And you're in oh, Canada, so it's not, so it's not even oh, no. a post Sorry. it's not even a post office <laughs> problem or anything like that. It's just yes, they just, just decided no. Uh, and then they just chose not to reply to my email for a month, so I, I took it to Twitter. Usually <laughs> solve problems. Yeah. Don't make me take it to Twitter. I'll out you right there. Yeah. Put your yeah. company on blast on Twitter. Do it. Yeah. So it's not been a afraid. bit of a it's been a bit of a rough road here. <laughs> The past, uh, oh god, I just I'd rather talk about my cell phone upgrade than talk about the Tigers. That's how great it's been. Yeah, it's been pretty grim. Um, I was gone for a week in in the Upper Peninsula and having a great time, and like would you know, occasionally I didn't have much cell service, so I'm like checking in, like oh they just whooped up on the Pirates, like oh yeah this is you know going great, and then you know by the time I got back, I was like all right yeah we're back down to 500 territory. Yeah. And then they just got themselves swept by a White Sox team that is admittedly now looking very good and um, a very tough lineup in particular, but they weren't even really competitive um, in most of these games. They pretty much just got their butts handed to them. And unfortunately, there doesn't really seem to be any sign that that any of that is going to change because there just isn't any help coming from, for the, you know, for the offense. And yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, I thought the team would get out to a fast start and I hoped that, you know, that would encourage them to quickly call up Casey Mize and Jake Rogers and some of those guys. And that didn't happen. They finally did do it this week and called up to our surprise, uh, not just Casey Mize, but um, Isak Paredes and Tarek Skubal as well. So we do have that to look forward to, um, but it is a little bit of a drag that like, 
we were kind of hoping, you know, the, the Tigers would kind of hang in there and keep things interesting well into September. Um, it's a little bit of wishful thinking, but, you know, yeah, that appears to be pretty much blown up right now. And so I guess we're just going to have to watch the prospects. I know, and there was a point where I think part of my brain almost thought we could do it. Like, we were holding on to one of the two wild card spots, and I'm like, oh, you know, extended playoffs. This is a thing that we could see happen, and then it just was a downward slog into oblivion as it's been yeah um, but you're right I, I am i mean I, I going into the season i didn't think they would do very well i think i was one of the two lowest assumptions of wins for the year i think adam dubbin was the other one who did not <laughs> think they would do very well um but i i think now all you really can do is get excited about seeing this glimpse of the future i mean my started on wednesday i thought he looked great yeah. Even though the team ended up just getting annihilated. He gave up, I think, what, four hits? Three or four hits? Yeah, not very many. Yeah, three runs. One was a home run, unfortunately, but, like, uh, three runs out of that whole measure, I think, for your first big league start. He looked really good. Yeah, he did. And that like, and that last inning, there was some bad luck. Like, you know, there were a couple of um, just weekly hit balls that found holes and stuff, and... Other than that, yeah, he really looked like he had a mastered for, for a lot of the night and was just, you know, punching people out left and right. Um, and especially considering how bad, you know, everyone else has looked against the White Sox for this team. Like, you net seven strikeouts in, in a game, and it's your first major league game. And considering everything Tim Anderson has done to destroy the Tigers lately, <laughs> um, you know, getting him out twice is not a small feat by any stretch of the imagination. But, like, I, I think that's the thing I have to remind myself, too. Like, that was his first ever major league appearance. Yeah. And he, he looked like he easily was slotting in right in the middle of the order. Like, he he looked great. Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, I don't want to be a total prisoner at the moment, but, I mean, I think he might be our best starting pitcher already. <laughs> so, I, I think he probably is. It seems premature because we've only seen one start, so I didn't want to get too excited. But based on how badly Boyd has been doing, um, based on, you know, what we saw from from Turnbull today or yesterday for those listening during the the Thursday day game where the Tigers just got shelled. um, And I don't want to be too hard on Scooble either because it was his first outing, too. And while it wasn't great, I I think, you know, there's. There's, a, there's some raw stuff there that definitely had a lot of potential. Um, so, But no, you're right. I, I think given what we've got right now with Fulmer and Norris not performing to, to levels either, Mize might just be the best starter that we've seen this season. Yeah, I mean, and you see like beyond just like, you know, what he's like pitching, like just sort of how he acts, um, how, how he talks to the media, like the amount of control and insight he kind of already has. Mm-hmm. Like, he seems like he's going to be a team leader within, like, a week, you know? There's going to be, like, the pitchers coming to him to to ask his advice, you know? I mean, he, he's just a very mature, super serious, you know, student of the game who's, um, you know, who's who's an obsessive. And, you know, he said it in, in a few interviews before, but, I mean, basically when he was 9 or 10 years old, he decided that he was going to be a Major League Baseball player and would go so far as to tell his, you know, his mom, like, if I ever beg you for a, a PlayStation or an Xbox, don't get don't get it for me. You know, there may be a time when I'm weak and I ask for it, and don't, you know, don't you get it for me because it's don't just going to waste my time. Yeah, and I mean, he was, you know, I think he was 11 or 12 when he said that kind of thing. You know, um, so I mean, and, it, and it's all come to pass. Um, you know, this he's he's absolutely 100% baseball rat, and um, yeah, you, you could just see that he felt like he belonged. He was not 
he wasn't even excited about the moment. He's been expecting himself to do this no, for so long like that it was more like, it's thing. about frigging time that you guys got me here. <laughs> so, yeah. So that was very impressive. And, um, yeah, I mean, you just see what he what he's capable of. Um, he didn't even really have his best stuff yesterday. I, I've seen him enough times to know that the cutter and the splitter both can be a lot better than that. So, I mean, it's good. I mean, you just never know until you see a guy face a, a good major league lineup. But the stuff was way more than enough to uh, to handle major league hitters. So yeah, that that's the positive from this week. Um, and you know, the Tigers, you know, kind of did the right thing. I think we both said this back in July on on a podcast was that you know you, you want to bring Casey Mize up, but you want him to be a hundred percent ready to go. You want him to be stretched out. You know, to have you know thrown. You know, five inning outings at, at Toledo and ramped his pitch count up and all that stuff. And it all kind of just worked out that way. Um, they could have brought him up, you know, a week or two earlier and it might have helped the team out a little bit more. But um, yeah, all in all, it, it went pretty darn well. Um, and then you look at Scooble and that one kind of feels like, an, you know, kind of an example of the Tigers, like letting the game play them a little bit where... Like, the right thing for Tarek Skubal, as far as getting his call up, was probably to stay down there a few more weeks. Um, he actually had a really bad case of COVID. Um, for all of you out there who are young and think you can't get it, and it won't, or if you do, it won't be a big deal. Um, he was really, really, really sick for um, over a week, it sounds like. So, I mean, he had it pretty rough and, you know, was only working out in camp for maybe three weeks before they called him up. And... I was excited when they called him up because I didn't expect it. But then you hear, you know, he's only thrown 46 pitches and it's like, oh man, he's not ready. And uh, so you kind of have the example of where Casey Mize would have been ready. And if they had just decided that's what they wanted to do, they could have called him up a week or two earlier. And then because the team is floundering, they let themselves, you know, kind of decide, yeah, we're going to bring him up early when he isn't really prepared. And it didn't go all that well. And he didn't, he didn't look his best at all. So I, obviously, you can see how good Scooble's stuff is, but he didn't have command of it. Um, he, he was out of rhythm and looked uh, pretty stressed pretty quick. And so that, that was kind of like the, uh, the, the the two paths diverging there for the two of them. But long term, I don't, you know, Scooble's another one who's really mentally tough. Um, he and Casey seem really tight. I think um, Tarek Scooble lived with Casey and his wife uh, during spring spring training. And the two of them have more of the same mentality Whereas Matt Manning and, and Alex Faido are a little bit more like laid back California kind yeah, of kid type. A little like laissez faire about things. Not, Not like, like they're yeah. lazy, but a bit like the, like let it be kind of how it is Yeah, they're just more doing rel- things. More relaxed. Yeah, more more a little bit more lighthearted when they're not actually working on, on stuff. Especially Fayedo. Like Alex Fayedo is uh, quite quite the character. Um he's gonna be uh, an entertaining quote for years to come, I'm sure, uh, if things come along. So, yeah, I mean, that was kind of how it went. And then we've got um, Isak Paredes, who looks like the team's most competent hitter already, <laughs> which yeah. is very disturbing. He looked great. Right out the gate, looking real good. Um, I, I just don't know what that means for Candelario going forward, because, I mean, just first thing, he he just looked really comfortable out there. Yeah, I mean, the, the takes um, from him... Um, even in that first game against Dylan Cease, you know, Dylan Cease has a really, really nasty breaking ball. And every time, the instant it was leaving his hand, Paredes, you just saw him, you know, shut down. Like, just, you know, he'd, he'd just go out of that, out of his stance and just sit back and just let it, let it slop in there. So he was, he was seeing all of that stuff really, really well. Uh, and that's a good sign. I mean, he, he's a super professional hitter. Um, he's another one who's basically making the jump straight from double A, but he's looked, uh, you know, pretty undermatched um, for the most part in the minor leagues. Like 
he hasn't hit for the power that the Tigers would like, and we'd all like to see him, you know, turn into more of a 25 home run threat, and maybe yeah. he will, but he's still only 21 years old, and I mean, he looked bored against um, some some minor league pitching. You know, he just you just could not fool him that way. Um, he might not get a hit, but uh, you, you weren't gonna really put much over on him. So, and yeah, we've seen that so far against a couple um, pretty good major league pitchers. So that's very promising. And as far as Candelario goes, like, yeah, it's been nice because the bat has finally perked up at least. Um, yeah, he had a solid, like, what was it, a three-run home run on Wednesday? Yeah, I think he had two uh, hits, yeah, in the leadoff and spot. He's up and they finally moved on him. the season, I think, too. Yep. So, I mean, it's perking up a little bit. I, I still, he's deeply underwhelming on base, but, you know, yeah, what can you do? Yeah, I mean... It's not all there, that, that's for sure, and I'm not really sure how much I, I trust that he's kind of got it straightened out after how things went last year, but um, I mean, we got he's looking better. Anyway, because CJ Crone's out for the season, so yep. I mean, we may just be seeing a lot of Candelario at first base going forward, because I don't think Miggy's really an option there at this point. Yeah, I think Ron Gardner even said in the post-game show that, yeah, he just, he just isn't going to consider that. Um, it looks like Miguel is already kind of favoring the right knee, um, and that's probably part of why he can't get the ball in the air because he's still not striking out that much um, he's still walking a normal amount and he's still hitting the crap out of the ball but he just cannot get it in the air um, and that's kind of how it's been the, the past couple of years so that, I guess that's just where we're at um, I don't really know and we'll have to get into this some other time but I don't really know how the Tigers can have him in their lineup for you know multiple years beyond this um, and not have it really really kind of be a detriment to the team but um that's their problem, and uh, they'll have to figure that out for themselves. But as far as Candelario goes, um, the thing about Candy is that he's such a good defender um, at, at you know at third base. Um, he's been pretty good the couple times that I've seen him at second. Um, he moves well. He's got good hands. He's got an accurate arm. I, I'm sure he could play second base too. Um, it's just a question of whether or not the you know the bat works out. But yeah, I think we're going to see him at first base unless you know blessedly some team cuts loose a, a hitter that we could actually use um, who can play some first mm. base. So. And I don't know if that's going to happen. <laughs> maybe it will. I don't know. Do you, I mean, on that note, I mean, maybe this is premature for your schedule for this podcast, but I can't possibly imagine the Tigers being buyers on this trade market. So yeah, uh, I just, I, I don't see, know that we're going to. Well, maybe I could see though that, that there may be some guys cut loose who, who people might be surprised by. Like if a team is getting their butts kicked and they're not going to make it, Maybe, you know, maybe there will be some, uh, some, you know, some waivers that, that are actually worth picking up from some of the lesser teams. But yeah, I just don't know. I just don't know if the Tigers will even do that because we kind of need to find out about these guys. And so far, what we're finding out about most of them is that they probably shouldn't be here, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, th this is, this might be the worst outfield, you know, I I've ever seen. Uh, I don't know. Last year's was probably just as bad, but outside of Jacoby well, Jones, there's just nothing. Now getting hurt, who knows what's going to happen there. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So, um, And that's kind of unfortunately what happens to Cam Mabin is um, you see him for a little bit and then he seems to pull something constantly uh, and, and, and not be there for us. So I guess that's, you know, that's just aging in, uh, in his case. But yeah, it's hard to know where there's any any offensive help to come from. I, I you know, Paredes was the, the best we were going to be able to call up. And, you know, if the, if the guy, if, you know, Victor Reyes can't hit a little bit more than this, and if, you know, Kristen Stewart cannot get it going, you know, I mean, I mean, people are almost ready to be done with Kristen Stewart and I can't really argue it very much. 
Yeah. No. I mean, it's only his second year, but it, second years are a lot different when the guy is already 27 or, or 28. Um, you know, it's like, yeah, you've only been, this is only your second chance at it, but it also took you a lot longer to get here than most guys who turn out to be good. So, well, and it, we always knew he was going to be a below average defender. It's just, you would have hoped that the offense would live up to what expectations were there. And he really just hasn't done anything to, I think, encourage the team to hold on to him. Yeah. And, you know, this is a team that doesn't need much encouragement to hold on to guys because they, you know, they don't have anything better and they don't, you know, they're not aggressively like pursuing talent and trying to build this thing up yet. Um, there's been a lot of, you know, a lot of missed opportunities that we've documented on the podcast over the last couple of years where they could have picked someone up, um, could have picked a bunch of people up and, and still not, you know, put together even a, you know, even a we could low still pay. We could have had Puig, Brandon. We could have Puig out in the field right now. Yeah, at least it'd be fun. You know, I mean, I don't expect a whole lot from Yasiel Puig, but it'd be fun. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, Sonny Gray, you know, Garrett Richards were both pitchers that we wanted. You know, mentioned Travis Shaw, the bat. There have been some other bats that have come come across. Um, you know, the Tigers didn't, didn't even bother with a catcher last year, which left both of us just aghast all season long. At least they addressed that this year. Austin Romine's been... Um, yeah, Real, been, been really good. Pickup. Yeah, I'm mad at that. Like that's, I, I, we were talking about this in the the D Rays Bay staff channel, because there's honest discussion as to whether or not the Tigers would consider trading Romine. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, would they trade Romine? I think Boyd is probably still a marketable piece. We're never going to get as much for him as we would have if they traded him, you know, a year ago or a year and a half ago when he was at his prime. But I still think with like the level of control he's got like years wise that he, he's not an immobile piece. I think there'll be teams that are still interested in the raw stuff there. Yeah. Um, just, just not probably to the degree that it would. Be well, you're not going to get the same yeah. level yeah. of talent back, which is a real disappointment. Not that I'm like saying the Tigers should have traded him two years ago when he was at his peak, but like he would have gotten more in return. But uh, I think that if they move anybody, those two pieces are very interesting. Um, which would suck because we obviously don't have a lot of depth in the catcher position that's really major league ready. I mean, you got Griner, who obviously did a serviceable job working with Mize. They know each other from the minors. Um, but you don't have that same kind of veteran command that you would do with a guy like Romine. And I think he's done well both like behind and at the plate this season. So I would almost be a bit disappointed to see him go. But if the team's not contending and you can get, you know, something... Uh, why not? Yeah, I, I guess it just depends on what that, what the, yeah, what the something is. Um, mm-hmm. Like you'd have to be able to at least get, you know, a, a somewhat interesting arm, you know, from the lower part of the the raised farm system or something like that is probably all you could really hope for. And I'm not really sure that's worth it. I, I would probably prefer to just keep keep Romine there to have him there to work with the the young pitchers. And I really don't understand why Jake Rogers is still in Toledo. Um, It's Mm -hmm. mind-boggling. Grayson Griner, you know, has done a decent job behind the plate. But, you know, he can't hit. Um, I think his OPS is like sub-500 right now. He doesn't really compel me at game calling either. I don't. Yeah, I I, I I agree. I think Rogers has a lot more potential there. Yeah, and Rogers plays with that energy, you know? Like, there's, like, a confidence and an energy and a take-charge kind of thing from Jake Rogers that even when he's, you know, made mistakes and wasn't as good defensively as we we were expecting last year, 
you know, that's the guy who's it seems to me should be up here working with Romine and learning from him well, about calling games well, and, and building you know, game plans. Working with guys like Scooble and Mize, who are the future of the like. I mean, if you want to build a solid battery, that's how you have to do it. So yeah. You're right. It's surprising to me that they're they're leaning more on Griner than they are on Rogers. Like I know, like you said, he kind of underwhelmed last year. But if you're going to play with things, this is the season to do it. Yeah, I think um, I think that is a question someone asked us kind of about that was whether or not Jake Rogers would would be up. And and I do think he he probably will be up fairly soon. Like Griner's not doing much. And now that you've got you know the some of the young arms up here who you probably wanted to work with Rogers down there. Um, I would probably send Griner back down to, you know, maybe work a little bit with Dylan Dingler, um, the Tigers' second-round pick this year, who is in camp. And, yeah, get Rodgers up here. I mean, he made some swing, some pretty, you know, fairly dramatic swing changes in the offseason. And we don't know if they're going to pay off and he's, you know, suddenly going to make more contact. But we do know two things, which is that, you know, Griner isn't going to hit and Jake Rodgers might. And Jake Rodgers has a track record of hitting for more power. Um and is also the better defensive catcher. Um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I would I would assume that they will do that fairly soon. Um, I hope that they will. I'm not really not really understanding the the logic behind that move among numerous others. But um, yeah, <laughs> I, I think you're right on that one as well. I, yeah, we we need to see Rogers up here. Um, I don't know. I don't really know that there's any more help. So this is all we're all in development mode again. Um, that that's the way everybody's probably gonna have to take the season. The rest of the way, um, I don't know if the Tigers will, you know, potentially maybe rebound a little bit here um, and and hold their own <laughs> for a while. But when you look at the schedule ahead, yeah, I mean, we're going to Cleveland and then we're welcoming in the Cubs and the Twins. Um, so those are the next three series. So, Well, I mean, one of our questions that I loved from Coco G, what was it from? Uh, would you like Mize with that? Um, was will we win again this year? <laughs> Yeah, I don't think it's gonna be for a while. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I got. Yeah, I mean, it's baseball. Yeah, it's baseball. So I feel like this can't go on that much longer. But um, yeah, I, 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 I can't guarantee anything either. <laughs> My prediction is that they will fluke into a win in the Indian series. Um, and then go on another skid is, is my prediction. Yeah, I'd like to think that they're going to come home and, and play a little better and that the pitching will start to come together because I'm not, you know, I'm I'm certainly not one of those people who thinks like Matt Boyd is done or, you know, no. th- this is it or anything like that. But, you know, there's every reason to believe that Matt Boyd is, is basically just the guy he was in 2017, 2018, who, you know, is basically a league average starting pitcher, which is fine. But um, he's got to show that <laughs> as well because this bullpen is just getting just wrecked, um, having to get through six, you know, sometimes seven innings every, every night. I mean, it seems like so. Yeah. That that came. Well, go the bullpen on. was the strongest thing out the gate this season. It was the one time in my life I remember going, "Hey, Tigers bullpen doesn't look too shabby." Yeah, and even now, you know, with with them struggling, like it kind of still looks like the best, the deepest at least bullpen they've had since. I don't know, maybe 2006, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe 2012, <laughs> yeah. 2013, they were, they had, they had at least had three or four strong pieces at a couple points, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good, you know, there's a lot of good guys. It's, you know, I've never thought I would speak so highly of what I've seen out of Buck Farmer, but it's been a good year for him. I mean, aside from missing games due to injury, but you yeah. know, and he had a good year last year. Yeah. I mean, it seems like he kind of figured it out. Um, you know, Garash has kind of a theory about him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Garash has a theory about him, and it kind of applies to maybe Kyle Funkhauser, too, where, the, you know, that there just are guys who can't 
can't keep it together, you know, multiple innings. Like there's just guys who, when they sit down in the, in the dugout, they, they just lose it somehow, you know, they're all amped to go. And he, you know, Buck Farmer does seem to have been that guy when they finally stopped make, trying to make him a two and three inning guy and, and just gave him one inning and put him in the late innings. He's been rock solid. Um, and that's a, a bit of news today is that um, the Tigers did um, designate Carson Fulmer for assignment. Um, so he's going to be out of there probably unless the Tigers can maybe re-sign him to a minor league deal. Although there didn't really look to be a whole lot of uh, untapped potential, unfortunately, in, in Mr. Fulmer at this point. But um, but that means that Buck Farmer is back. And so, yeah, you've got Joe Jimenez, you've got Buck Farmer, you've got Brian Garcia, who's looked pretty good. Gregory Soto yeah. has looked awesome, um, except really for like the last outing. You know, he got hit the time before as well, but it wasn't that big of a deal. But last night, um, you know, gave up, did give up two home runs, one a cheapie and one Encarnacion just, just parrot laser into the left field seats. Um, but, you know, it's still re- very good. Um, it's not going to be perfect. But, you know, they, they've got that many guys. Um, Jose Cisnero has been pretty good. If I, I think I mentioned Brian Garcia, you know, they've got at least Schreiber's been yeah. okay. Yeah. So there's enough there if you actually had a, a starting staff. And I, I didn't really think that the starting rotation was going to be the huge problem. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's kind of stymie because, like, Turnbull was good last year. Like, he well, looked... in the first half anyway, yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, we're looking at a season where we're 100 games shorter than we should be, right? right? Yeah. So you would think you might be able to pull out the Turnbull we saw at the beginning of last season for intervals. Yeah, and we saw it for, yeah, like maybe the first two starts. Um, but yeah, the wildness is coming back in. He's such a strange pitcher. Um, I mean, I, I get the, the sense that when they call fastball for him, like all the catchers just set up right down the middle because they know that's not where it's going to go. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and neither does he. You know, it, it's going to move, you know, a lot. And that's why he's so hard to hit in some ways. But he also just really doesn't know where it's going um, far too often. Um, you know, has the, has the stuff. And, and that was kind of always the way it was in the minor leagues is he just couldn't couldn't perform entirely as well as the, you know, the stuff would have led, led you to believe. So yeah. And then, yeah, Boyd obviously struggling, um, you know, Michael Farmer has, is still coming back and, you know, hasn't looked very good most of the time, but does have his velocity coming back and it started to hit 96 again. So that part's encouraging, encouraging at least long-term um, looking forward to next year. Um, another one who I will, I don't know, blow my own horn about a little bit is Daniel Norris, who is pumping 94, 95 again, after everyone told me I was being an, an insane Homer for telling everyone that, yeah, the velocity will be back eventually. Um, that's been nice to see, but I'm also not, you know, I'm also not suggesting that Daniel Norris, if you, you know, you just lock him in the rotation and turn him loose is going to suddenly produce, you know, the potential that we saw like late 2016 or anything like that. Um, it's, it's just hard to know, you know, Daniel still has a tendency to get out of whack and, and start leaving pitches up as well. So yeah, it's uh there's, there's not a whole lot to really hang your hat on. Um, I do think Scooble will get better as he goes along. And now that you've got Mize there, you know, if Turnbull can just settle in and Boyd can kind of turn his season back to, you know, more of like normal career average, Matt Boyd, that'll probably all sort of work itself out. But um, that's a lot of, that's an awful lot of problems already to, um, to, to hope to fix. And then you've still got, yeah, virtually, you know, no major league offense going most, most days, unfortunately. So yeah, you know, that's where it is. And we didn't expect, you know, this to be the Tigers year. It wasn't supposed to be, you know, at any point, really the only reason to hope was the fact that the season was so short that maybe they could just kind of squeak. They might trick their way into it. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, that's where we are. <laughs> that's just the way it goes. Uh, Ron Gardenhire seems really frustrated. Like you can just see the last couple uh, couple interviews that he's that he's done post game. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, he's pretty fed up with this, and I'm sure a lot of people watching are are, are pretty fed up with it too. But um, you know, if you're a Tigers fan and you're you're in this for the long haul, you know, th- this is uh, just another another step in the in the story here, where where you've got to got to take your good out of it and look at the guys who are young and might contribute. Um, but I think um, to to kind of take this to a second topic on that, there are also this this tier of guys who are all you know maybe 26, but mostly like 27, 28 years old. And that's Daniel Norris, Michael Fulmer, Kristen Stewart, Jacoby Jones, Jamer Candelario, all those guys, Nico Goodrum, all those guys are at the point in their career where if they're not doing it now, you know, no one is going to really believe that they ever will. And you look through that group and you've kind of got like Nico and Jacoby both looking like, you know, major league regulars who can occasionally get streaky and, and do some things for you. Uh, but other than that, and, you know, and Jamer's, Jamer's perked up a little bit, but yeah, other than that, it's not looking, um, not looking too great. So I know there's a listener question about this later on and, and we can kind of talk about it then, but you know, th- this is the problem that the Tigers have on their hands is do you try to prove to yourself that these guys aren't, aren't worth it right now? Uh, are you just going to, do you just have to play Kristen Stewart all year to, to convince yourself there, there's no point um, and, and turn him loose? Or, you know, should the Tigers, yeah, be trying to do something? Should they bother to, to sign Yasiel Puig or should, yeah, they try well, to, or should they try to claim point, someone yeah. <laughs> and all that? Yeah, at this point, you know. So, yeah, I mean, that, that tier kind of has to be decided this year. And <clears throat> if the Tigers care and are going to try to start doing something, as they absolutely should this offseason, yeah, some of these guys are going to have to go, you know. It's just the way, uh, just, just the way it is. Um, you you want to give guys some time, but the Tigers are – are notorious for giving guys more time than they need. And these are also older guys. Um, So yeah, I don't know. There's going to be some tough decisions, but um, hopefully they will make those tough decisions and and start turning the roster over because we're kind of there now, you know, you, you get Manning up next year. Maybe we'll see him a little bit this year too. You know, you figure those guys are going to need a year to work. And then 2022, you know, you would hope to have Spencer Torkelson and maybe Riley Green at some point that year. Riley Green! So, you know, build this thing. You know, get get this thing together next year and start trying to win. Um, start trying yeah, pick to find up the some pieces. players. Like, I would have loved to have seen them, you know, I mean, as much as it sucks that we've lost Crone for the season, he was really dynamic to start the year. I would almost love to see them pick him up again as a veteran bat on like a two-year deal. Yeah, um, same here. I thought he did a really good job. So I think it's kind of telling too. Yeah, it's kind of telling too that as soon as he was gone, like they've just you know that entire lineup has just fallen apart. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, CJ Crone's not a a really good player, but he's but he's a an above average hitter and a like a solid player. And like we just need a couple of those guys to hold hold things together. So yeah, I would I would be in favor too as long as you know they they do the right thing and check the medicals and see if the knee is going to be okay and all that sort of thing. Um, yeah, Don't need so floating kneecap popping out at first base, but yeah, but it is frustrating to watch this team and start to see these guys come up and, uh, I'm going to write about this and probably it's going to annoy everyone, but you know, we're like two, two or three weeks past Al Avila's five-year anniversary, um, with the Tigers. And I said this on the, the podcast on Tuesday as well, and it's probably going to be the lead to the, to the article as well. But you know, we started this season and you realize it's been five years and you look around at the team and all the guys who matter still or with, with the exception of like Nico, you know, maybe Jamer, 
Um, maybe Tyler Alexander, you know, to some degree. There's, there's a couple guys, but for the most part, everybody who's out there and, and contributing are still Dave Dombrowski's guys. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's just not really excusable <laughs> at this point. Um, you can't go five years and not find, you know, one good hitter somewhere along the way. You know, you've got to try the, you've got to try to do things. And the Tigers just have not tried almost in any way, uh, even in the cheap ways. Um, they haven't really tried very much. So they got Nico and that's good, but, um, but, but that's frustrating. So, yeah, I mean, having all these kids up feels like, okay, this is the beginning of this being Alavila's team. This is the point where they're, spart- you know, supposed to start, you know, building the thing and, and trying to win. And I think for a lot Dazzling of us, us yeah. yeah, and I think for a lot of us, we're already kind of burnt out on, on Alavila and we're kind of burnt out on Ron Gardenhire. You know, I'm not really holding Ron Gardenhire too much to account um, for what's He's going just, on. You, my problem with Gardenhire is kind of the same problem that I had with a guy like Brad Osmus is that like there's there's a rigidity to how they play the roles and there's no sense of flexibility. They're very much like I have an eighth inning guy. I have a ninth inning guy. It's it's a very old school mentality that does not lend itself to trying new things, which is unfortunate because as you and I have discussed a lot, that this is the kind of Tigers team where you would want to try new things. And like, it's, it's frustrating that given an opportunity where you could do something different, play with your lineup, play with how, you know, your pitchers are getting used and how your bullpen's getting used. You just aren't doing it. And I think we need something that isn't quite that staid old school mentality, especially with a younger group going forward. So I don't yeah. know. I, no, I agree. I think, I think garden hire was the right guy to like lead them into this, but I don't think he's the right guy going forward. Yeah. And you know, and that same attitude probably comes from the top. I mean, you know, that <laughs> it's just all, all of a piece, unfortunately, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I like Ryan garden hire. Um, I'm not someone who's so into the saber that, uh, you know, I don't, I, I don't think that player relationships with the manager and all that don't matter. Uh, most of that stuff is probably the biggest thing that a manager can do is just have a good rapport and be able to communicate with his guys. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think he's good there. Um, but I mean, how many times do we have to hear? I just, I can't, I can't take another, another spring camp of like, we're really going to dr- drill the fundamentals into these guys. You know, yeah. and this is the year we're going to play sound fundamental baseball. Um, you know, we, we kind of talked about this on the site um, in the comments the other day, and it's, you know, there are some things that coaches can't fix. Like, coaches can't give you talent, um, but, you know, and, and it's hard to, to fix a hitter, and it's hard to fix a pitcher, but, you know, the Tigers have plenty of guys who can play defense just fine. <clears throat> you know, that's not where they're, they're, you know, desperately deficient, and they still don't. You know, they still have guys who aren't aware of where the ball, where the ball should be going. They aren't aware of the game situation. You know, they blow routine plays sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, all, all that stuff just goes on and on. And to watch, you know, when, when you already have a team that's not that talented to begin with, to watch them just give away outs, you know, on a game by game basis like that, it happens to all teams, but it definitely, I watch some other teams, you watch other teams, yeah. the ti- Tigers are definitely um, a fairly egregious example of that. And they kind of have been the, the entire time Ron Gardenhire has been here. So yeah, he just doesn't really have any claim to the job. Rick Anderson doesn't have any claim to a job. Oh, you know. no. I'd, I'd rather we replace Rick Anderson before we replace Guardy, to be totally honest with you. But that's yep. just me. That's the reason. That, yeah, it's, it came up, too, because, like I said, we were talking about it in the, the Rays channel about trading Boyd. And I'm like, man, I would love to see what Kyle Snyder could unlock in Matt Boyd. Like, this guy figured out Tyler Glass now. So, like, I... 
I don't know. I mean, not that Glasnow's had the most perfect season, but oh, the stuff, the stuff is there. Yeah. It's just hard um, to figure out what, you know, Rick Anderson can hang his hat on. I mean, you know, t- talking Gregory Soto into, you know, since he was going to convert to full-time kind of one or two inning relief, you know, convincing him to kind of go to the slide step and cut some of his leg kick out and some of the tilt um, out of his delivery. Like that, that's a good thing, but you know, the other improvements, you know, have proven illusory, you know, like in Matt Boyd's case. And, and Matt Boyd's improvements last year were entirely self, you know, directed. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's largely been the case. I mean, I don't really know what Rick Anderson does out there other than, you know, like psychologically try to, you know, mellow guys out when they're stressing on the mound and stuff like that. You know, it's like, what, what, what is the, you know, what is the, the calling card? Like, what is the, the style of, of pitching or the, you know, the style of attacking hitters that, that, you know, Rick Anderson brings to the table and that, you know, there's some stamp of on the team, you know, it's just not there. And obviously you have to have some talent to do that, but yeah, you know, that's the other thing, like, like you're saying, the experimentation, like this is the time to try things. This is the time to, you know, be able to gather intelligence about guys, about what they can do and what they can't and like what position they could play, you know, best, you know, what situations they're best in all that stuff. And, you know, they just don't really try that that kind of thing very often. They don't experiment. You know, it, we're looking at the bullpen, and it, yeah, it's you know the, the bullpen has you know maybe six, maybe seven, even you know if we put you know Norris or Alexander, whoever's in there, mm-hmm. you got got plenty of guys who are effective there. But the Tigers won't try an opener. You know, they won't. You know, they won't send one of those relievers out there to go through. You know, Tim Anderson and the the heart of the order one time and turn it over to a young starter or a guy like Fulmer, who's just coming back and trying to figure out, you know, how, how to pitch again and, and locate and compete regularly. They, they won't do those kind of things. And, you know, there's no guarantees that any of that would work either. Um, you know, I don't necessarily like, I'm not a hundred percent like Brian Garcia would go out there and carve up Tim Anderson. Um, but yeah, but they don't, but they won't ever try it. You know, they won't ever see if, because that's their strength, they, there should be another way of them, kind of working with it you know instead they're just letting themselves get blown out of every game in the first two innings and this offense has no power to catch up and so your bullpen doesn't even matter like the strongest element that you have isn't even being brought to bear until the games are almost over um and that yeah that that stuff is infuriating (laughs) yeah so that's our uh our diagnosis um at this point it's bleeding and nobody will stop it (laughs) (laughs) yep but it is more fun, huh. and and at least there is that. You know, there's the the guys to watch, and you know that's enough for me right now. This week has been more fun. I agree. Like even getting swept by the White Sox, being able to get to see the new guys has been nice. Yeah, I, I will give you that. Yeah, and yeah, we'll see. Maybe there's a little bit more help uh, coming at some point. Um, we'll turn to that as we um, start taking your listener questions here, and then yeah, we're going to talk about a couple general baseball things um, after we get through the listener questions. We'll talk about Fernando T- Tatis and. Uh, why baseball hates itself, and uh, and then we'll get into uh, Tom Brenneman's uh, mm, quite quite awful comments uh, that were captured on Mike um, during a Cincinnati Reds broadcast, and the fallout from that. We'll get into those two topics, um, but yeah, let's try to get into the uh, the listener que- or the reader questions. I think they count as listeners. They're listening to us. Will they listen though? Are you guys gonna you know? Hopefully, they're out there. No, that's all right. Actually, our numbers have been really good, so I, we do appreciate that. Um, it is, it is nice to know that, um, yeah, you know that the downloads are there and that people are are paying attention. Um, we've seen, you know, some boost in traffic 
obviously over the last couple weeks um, as Honestly, the Tigers were playing well. I just think of it well. as me shooting the breeze, but it's nice to know some people. Yeah, <laughs> I know it does help us to remind. Yeah, yeah I'm sure it helps that you have such great guests on the off, the off, the off. What are oh my God words? Yeah, and the yeah the uh, combo pods and yeah trying to get some interviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, people are enjoying those. Um, you know, Mark is a friend of mine. Mark knows baseball really well, and I love Mark. Um, I also know he's not to everyone's taste because he is a, a smug smartass, and um, that's part of what I love about him. Um, but, you know, I, I understand, like, some people aren't going to be so thrilled with those, but the content on those podcasts is really good, and being able to have Cody Stavenhagen on, um, you know, who now that, you know, the D- Detroit Free Press and the Detroit News are, you know, going to be behind a paywall, like, you should get yourself a goddamn athletic su- subscription, trust oh, me. so much more worth it. <laughs> yeah, Cody's, uh, Cody's doing really good over there, and now that the, the other two, the two big boys have um, put themselves behind a pay- paywall, I, I expect that Cody's just going to wipe the floor with them. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's nice having all those on. So, yeah, we, I mean, we, we do appreciate, you know, that people are um, coming back this year and, and starting to at least see signs that the Tigers um, may do something in, in the near future and are at least more fun to watch. Um, it's been bleak the, the past couple of years. I'm sure people have gotten that impression who are regular readers of the site. Uh, it's It's been a hard go because um, even when we're actually, you know, just pumping on it, you know, there's just not that much interest right now, and I can't really blame anyone. So, at least this year, that has um, kind of turned around. And um, we'll take a moment right here to also hawk shirts. Um, oh, yes. If you look on the front page, um, you'll see a, a little link to um, a new breaking t-shirt. Um, it's it's basically titled The Future Is Now. Um, it's got an image of Casey Mize, Isak Paredes. I have to stop and say Isak. I had to pause there. Isak, <laughs> it. Tarek, Tarek Scoobal. And Tarek Scoobal on it, yeah. The new, the new wave. Yeah, and those um those when we sell those shirts, you know, we've been really pleased with um breaking tees t shirts. Um I've got a whole bunch of them myself. Oh, great quality. I've got quite a few of them. Yeah, they do really well with them. And, you know, that does help the site just so people out there know, um, you know, we don't charge you guys anything and that's perfectly fine. We gave up on the Patreon because none of us just feel all that terribly comfortable with asking for money regularly. But um but in this particular case, um, funds from those t-shirts do go to Bless You Boys and allow us um, to spread a little bit around to some of our contributors who don't really make much of anything at all, who we, we appreciate. <laughs> um, so yeah, if you are considering those shirts and, and like them, um, we would really appreciate you picking one up um, and possibly picking a few up for other people you know as gifts. Please do so. <laughs> but yeah, but now I digress. To your questions. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, Matt Boyd, what are the... Okay, this is from Miggy Smalls, who really went Miggy, off. Miggy went on a tear. Holy, <laughs> was... there's so many questions from Miggy Smalls in here. Bless. Yeah, and I don't mean that hot. in like the, the southern bless your heart kind of way. Like, bless. These Thank are you. great, really good questions. Yeah, absolutely. So, number one, um, Matt Boyd, what are the pros and cons of han- hanging on to him for the time being and reevaluating the trade market in the offseason um, and or at next year's deadline? Um, and he kind of goes into a couple, you know, a variety of scenarios. Um, I don't necessarily want to want to read them all out, but um, we can, we can kind of just base off that. I mean, I, I guess the key question is, I mean, do you think that if we keep Matt Boyd, 
you know, through this year, he's going to regain some value or, or at least pitch better next year. I mean, I think obviously yeah. <laughs> if they traded him two or three years ago or two years ago or sometime early last year, um, the value probably would have been better, but, um, you know, it is what it is. Do you think there's, there's still a chance of him turning it around? I think so. I, I, if it was up to me, I probably wouldn't move him this season. I, I think his value couldn't possibly be lower than it is right now. I knock on wood. I shouldn't have said that. Um, <laughs> But I, I do think that this is a fluke. I think he's the kind of guy that's very adaptable and he he self-teaches, like he trains himself and does a lot of things for himself and is very motivated to improve. Yeah. Um, and I think what really threw him this season was the the late start, the the rushed summer camp. And I think it, it wasn't quite enough time for him. And I think we're seeing the results of that. Um, I do feel that given like a bit more time and a, a better off season, he will improve. And I think I would wait to trade him. And by the, honestly, by next year, if he's better, I would just hang on to him. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, I almost, I almost think there's, there's a good question as to whether or not you sh- you should offer him an extension, you know, um, especially if you can get, if, if he's willing to kind of sign on and be, you know, the leader in the clubhouse and, mm-hmm. and kind of lead the staff and isn't going to expect too much money. Um, the Tigers don't do this kind of thing, but building some kind of a deal with a bunch of incentives into into it uh, makes a lot of sense to me. I'd like to see them try to do something like that with him because, yeah, I mean, I, I just think, like, first of all, this year, I, we don't even know, um, you know, just to kind of reach out to the listeners and, and readers, like, generally, I mean, I don't have any idea whether or not this trade deadline is going to be active really at all. Um, it kind of seems like it won't be. Uh, I, I, I just can't really Im- imagine people or teams being willing to push in too hard um, and, you know, and trade away prospects. And from the other perspective, like if you're trading players and trying to get prospects, well, guess what? You haven't seen those prospects play, you know, since last fall, you know, a a literal year ago, Um, which makes that whole chore, you know, trying to figure out who you would actually want and where all these different players are at in their, their development, you know, extra difficult. So Mm -hmm. then you throw in the fact that, you know, you're trading players in the middle of a pandemic and all of a sudden they have to move. Like there's, there's a lot, lot of, lot going on there. Um, You know, there'll be trades made, I'm sure, but I, I don't really expect to see much in the way of, I don't trade. think we'll see like, the blockbusters that you would see in a normal trade deadline. Yeah, or, I, I or, or like, the activity level, probably, yeah. You know, I think it'll be the one-two pieces that teams are desperately in need of because of... We've seen a ton of injury. Like That's the one thing I've really noticed this year so far, is just tons of players falling to injury. And I don't know if it feels like more because of how abbreviated the season is, or if it's actually more, but it does feel to me like an, a lot. Like, not just on the Tigers, but like everywhere. It seems like tons of players are getting are like just dropping. Yeah. Um, so I mean, there are teams that absolutely need to fill gaps if they want to be competitive. But it's um, it's going to be you know onesie twosies, I think. Yeah, and even for teams that want to trade guys away, like they they've still got to field enough of a roster. I mean, you look at mm-hmm. um, obviously the cardinal, <laughs> the cardinal schedule is literally mm-hmm. insane. Like I can't believe that they they decided that they were going to try to make up whatever it is like ten or twelve games and and pack them all into all these double headers. Um, they're going to get a bunch of people hurt, um, guaranteed. And other teams all have to worry about that too. You know, the Tigers, you know, miss some games with the Cardinals that they're going to try to make up and that schedule is packed. And so even if the Tigers want to trade somebody, you know, those low level deals that you would normally expect to see, 
I think teams have got to kind of hang on to some of those guys just to get through the season, like just to, to have a chance of making it through. And based on the way things have gone, like I almost don't know what would stop the league from, you know, just barreling ahead almost no matter what happens at this point. Like obviously it would have to be something bad, uh, but we've already seen a lot of bad and uh, no- mm-hmm. nothing has really kind of swayed anyone. So uh, we're just going to push through. The like honestly, at this point, I just can't. I can't see what would have to happen in order for that. Like somebody would have to die. Like, yeah, I think so. The, the, the you've already has... had like Edwin. You know, you've already got Eduardo Rodriguez of the Red Sox, who you know had some pretty serious heart inflammation that he's still dealing with from from the fallout. Um, and I'm not. And I don't think he necessarily was a case of of getting it in camp. I think he actually had it before. But um, but it just kind of shows you like. There's probably a bunch of these guys who are going to, you know, have some some longer term ramifications Mm -hmm. and that hasn't slowed anything down. So, yeah, I think we're in agreement. They're going to push this thing through, but I just don't know that most teams are going to value this season the way they normally would in terms of like, yeah, we're going to push in and, you know, and try to make the playoffs. Um, I think having the extra playoff spots gives more teams a chance but i think that that also in some ways this season not normally but this season kind of dilutes the the feeling that you need to go get someone really good to get there like a lot of teams who are kind of in that mid-tier are still going to think like you know maybe we can kind of squeak this through anyway you know because we've just got to you know pull out one or two extra games than this other team so yeah i don't know it's definitely um that's definitely something that'll be interesting to watch for but i i don't really feel like i have any real great grasp on, on how it's going to look at all. Like are, um, are the Yankees going to go out and make a bunch of trades because they think they can win, win the world series. Like, oh, I don't know. I just don't, I don't know. And then you look at like the Astros, some of the big teams that you would think would still be willing to trade their top prospects and get somebody like, you know, it hasn't worked well for the Astros. Um, you feel like somebody like the Dodgers. I feel like the Dodgers who have been so close the last couple of seasons, they might do it just to get the, like, the victory vibe like you know they've yeah. been on the cusp with the with you know with the red Sox, with the astros and it's it's just been within their grasp and now they've got bets and i think i think they might make moves just to get that that achievement yeah that's true and i could i could see that but then you also have the you know like it's just always tough. Like unless you're getting like a, a star who can carry you, you know, in a in a whole game. Yeah, I mean sometimes the the impact of a of a really good player in a in a playoff series just isn't it just can be pretty negligible. You just you mm-hmm. just don't know. So yeah, I mean I'm sure the Dodgers feel like 100% confident that they're going to be you know a high seed in in the postseason. Um, but yeah, I I think you're probably right about them that if if there's some kind of final piece like maybe you know, a bullpen arm, something along those lines, uh, maybe a little bit more depth in the, in the rotation, something like that. Yeah, maybe, but yeah, yeah I mean, they have the one. best record in baseball as it is right now. So, I mean, they're not, they're definitely not hurting. Um, but yeah, the, the one or two pieces that they might need just to like have that depth, you're right. I think would be what they would move for. Um, but yeah, I can't, I'm looking at the standings right now and I'm trying to see who would remotely be willing to make trades. And I don't know. I don't, there's, you feel like the Cubs want to get there again. They're on top right now, having a great season under the first year of David Ross's leadership. And like, it's, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, it really is. Cause you also have to, all those teams also have to keep in mind that like, you know, if they make a big move, 
um, and, and get that player. And then, you know, they have a whole bunch of COVID, you know, problems yeah. and, and that player isn't even available for, you know, a couple of weeks. And then they have to, you know, delay five or six games. You know, there, there's just that variable that I think is really, really going to scare pe- teams from taking any any more risk than necessary. So, yeah, you can expect like minor team building type moves, but yeah, probably not much of the um, the, the blockbuster or even like, oh, hey, that guy got traded. <laughs> like, I don't even know if we'll say that mm-hmm. that much. Um, and Miggy Smalls, like, you've got a whole bunch of, you know, kind of things here about like, you know, is it more valuable um, to trade a guy w- with two years of control versus one? You know, I mean, it, it just depends on the guy. I mean, it, obviously, two years of control are better than one um, when you're talking about a, a player under team control who doesn't cost a whole lot of money. But, um, you know, I, I would say that if Matt Boyd is better next year, y- yeah, you probably get more f- for him then than you would now, even though, you know, y- there's less team control available. Um, but that's just because, you know, it, it's kind of hard to say because Matt Boyd just you know, this hasn't been very good at all. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I'm not sure anybody's even, even looking, um, you know, I don't really think any, any teams are really looking for, for a starting pitcher who are, are willing to give something up. You know, I, I think of like, yeah. he mentions Colorado and Colorado is one I could think of too, where, you know, they, they've had, you know, good, you know, position player groups and have never really been able to put the pitching together in recent years. Um, and still seem pretty far away, but they do have some interesting, you know, farm players. Like if I could get, you know, Brandon Rogers from them, who's a, a pretty darn good infield prospect. Yeah. I mean, I'd trade Matt Boyd for that, but I don't, I don't think they're, they're going to be interested in doing that for Matt Boyd right now. Um, I don't know if you could get Brandon Rogers for Spencer Turnbull right now. Um, and I'd be willing, I'd be perfectly willing to trade Spencer Turnbull if I could get an above average, you know, um, position player prospect. But uh, yeah, I just I just don't see us really having the the chips. Uh, I'd be willing to trade Greg Soto if someone wanted to say like, yeah, this is um this is the super reliever of the future, and we're going to give you you know a huge haul. Um, I I would even be willing to trade Greg Soto because you just don't see hard throwing relievers you know pitch really well for like mm-hmm. three or four seasons, and you know he's probably not going to fit into the, the Tigers' time frame. But um, yeah, I don't know. We'll just see how that goes because I I don't know that anyone's going to go ham for for Gregory Soto right now either. And the next question, Lugo, where's the front office and management on Dawel Lugo? Um, it's more more a question of where Dawel Lugo is in relation to front office and management. <laughs> um, and I and I would say it, not even in the doghouse. I mean, I think everyone's just kind of done. You know, we're at the point where Paredes is up. Um, you, Willie Castro is up. You've got Candelario in the, in the infield who you don't really want to give up on until you've exhausted every opportunity because you've seen him hit before. Dawel Lugo's never hit, um, and he's not a very you know standout defender at third base, um, I, I just think it's over. So, you know, maybe he'll sign a minor league deal and they'll stash him down there to play third base for the, the Mud Hens next year and give it one more go. But, I mean, I, I would expect that it, that it's pretty much over or they wouldn't have um, pulled the plug and they also would have given him some playing time and they didn't do that either. You know, yeah. it's just kind of a waste of a roster spot, which the Tigers are also kind of notorious for, like just hanging on to random people that they obviously don't want to play. Um, just because I don't know, they're scared if they let him go, someone else is going to fix him. I mean, I, I really don't, don't know. So, um, so that question came from Daniel Byrne. Um, next question, Miggy Smalls again. You oh, yeah, he's, he's got everywhere. like seven of them on here. He's, and some of them we've kind of touched on, like this one's about extension candidates. And we kind of looked at, at how we feel about Boyd. And I, I think that, 
I don't know that there's a lot of folks that I would immediately offer extensions to. He does talk a little bit here about whether or not it would be worthwhile to sign some extensions to the the youth um, before they reach the major leagues. Um, I I I am cagey on that. Mostly, I'm I am notoriously not a fan of long term deals in general. I think they never pan out. Yeah. Um. I think you're paying for two or three good seasons at the expense of five bad ones, typically. Um, and we, we're seeing that with Miguel Cabrera. Like, it's absolutely just kicking us in the shins. I mean, obviously uh, it's different when you have, you know, really young guys versus, like, mm-hmm. a star. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you just don't need to. You know, like, you don't have to offer Casey Mize an extension right now. Like, if I was Casey Mize, there's no way in hell I would take it unless you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're paying me a whole lot of money. Because Casey Mize and believes I- himself in himself. You know, they, you know, when you're a prospect and you just came up... <laughs> You know, you expect you're going to win a Cy Young or, or, you know, or have really good years. And so you're not willing to sell out those years. So there's plenty of time to offer extensions to those guys. I mean, the guys that really matter, I think, in this conversation are the the group we talked about earlier, who are the, you know, the 27, 28 year old guys. And that's basically who he's got, you know, listed here. Like, would you extend Daniel Norris? Um, Would you extend... Michael Fulmer or Matt Boyd, like right off the the top. And I think for me, the answer for all three is yeah, but only if it's, you know, pretty inexpensive. If it's Uh, team friendly. Yeah, it's uh, uh, yeah. I haven't seen enough out of any of them to be like gung ho about it, but they're all still fairly young too. Right. So I I think that there's definitely the potential there for them to get back. I don't think we're ever going to see Fulmer reach his rookie of the year capacities again. Um, but I, I do think he could be a reliable like starter for us when he comes back into being full health. So, yeah, you're right. I, I mean, I wouldn't say no to an extension to any of those three guys. Um, Norris worries me. I know you're seeing the uptick in his velocity. Um, and I, you and I have always been very team Norris. Like, yeah, I, I want very badly for Daniel Norris to live up to his expectations. <laughs> I'm just, I haven't seen enough of it to, to, to know that it's there. Um, Jesus, did you oh, hear wow. that? Yeah, a little cat can, me, can you give me two seconds? Sure. I'm, I'm going to break this up. One second. Well, and I'll go, like, where, yeah, where Norris is concerned, you just, it's another kind of case where you just don't need to, um, I think, because... You know, I mean, I think at this point, Daniel Norris is, is mostly going to going to be a reliever. Um, you know, he's probably going to take some starts, too. But, I mean, you're looking at him when you have, you know, Manning, Scooble, and Mize all coming. Maybe Perez. Um, there's a lot of guys. So there's a lot of guys, you know, who are going to be coming up. And you don't really have that much spot of to give Daniel Norris, like, more rain in the starting rotation, like, next year. So... You know, he's in that place in his career where, you know, he's an interesting arm. Um, he's a, a hard-throwing lefty um, who does have a good breaking ball, but he's never really put together, like, starting caliber work. And so you don't have to extend a guy like that. Like, you know, Daniel Norris will hit free agency at the end of next year, and if the Tigers want to bring him back, they won't have any trouble um, yeah. you know, getting him probably at the price that they want. You know, there may be some other teams. You know, maybe one of the California teams, um, you know, is like, you know, Daniel Norris really wants to probably live in the, in, you know, on the ocean and <laughs> be able to surf. And so, you know, we're going to offer him, you know, a cheap deal as well. And maybe, maybe that's how that, that works out. But, you know, there isn't a whole lot of value there, um, you know, to get in a trade either, you know, especially not right now. I mean, if someone would give me 
you know, a decent prospect for Daniel Norris because they want to put him in their bullpen and have a strong lefty who they know they can get multiple innings out of. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, I, you have to consider strongly doing that. And I would say the same about him next year. Um, Fulmer, you know, no one's going to offer anything on right now. F- of all of them, Fulmer is the one who kind of interests me most as far as an extension goes, because I think right now you could probably convince him to sign like a four-year deal, you know, at mm-hmm. like 5 million a year with, you know, with extent with, um, incentives. And if, you know, yeah. things come back great, if not, you know, Michael Fulmer still has the capacity to be a pretty damn good reliever and might even be a relief ace for you. Um, you know, and that, maybe that's the best way to to think about him going forward. So I'd, I'd consider that as well. Same with Boyd. Um, as far as Turnbull, I, I don't I just don't trust Spencer Turnbull, guys. Um, I've kind of said this through most of his, his minor league career. And many of you know, you know, I'm, I'm the one here who follows the minor leagues and writes about him every day during the season. So I've seen an awful lot of Spencer Turnbull and Spencer Turnbull has always had good stuff. Um, he always gets hurt a little bit and he never, you know, it can can kind of hold it together and maintain his command for more than, you know, a, a handful of starts in a row. Um, and he's, he's, he's an interesting pitcher. You know, the, the stuff is, is very hard to hit. Um, he controls home runs, um, in a way that is pretty damn valuable in the game right now. So I don't have any problem keeping him either, but I also, if, if a team was interested, I, I also wouldn't have any trouble trading him if you could get, you know, an above average prospect for him right now. Um, he's still got, you know, four years of control, um, remaining, um, cheap control. So, you know, that, that's a valuable player that some other team might want, um, and I wouldn't really necessarily be all that keen on extending him either. Like it all just it all comes down to price. Um, Buck Farmer is another interesting one because I, you know mm-hmm. he's, he's going to be a free agent this off season, so you know it wouldn't really even be an extension. It would kind of be like a free agent signing. But yeah, I'd I'd, I'd pick up Buck Farmer um, to keep in the bullpen for two years for you know whatever like you know maybe three four million a year or something like that. Um, Maybe, maybe, yeah, you could probably get him even even for a little bit less than that, but maybe that's what they'd end up having to pay him. Um, but it feels like Buck Farmer is a, like a pretty good presence down there and like really well liked. Um, he's, you know, he really kind of blossomed into a very consistent reliever last year and was off to a good start this year until he got hurt. So we should see him um, back on the mound shortly. Um, he did he even pitch maybe today? I didn't. I honestly bailed the last the the eighth and ninth inning. I, I was, didn't. Like, it, I was a day game. <laughs> I was working, but. Um... I don't know, but we'll definitely see him this weekend in the Indian series. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of it. You know, um, Soto, no, you, there's, you know, you're not going to extend a, a hard throwing reliever right now. There's, there's too much injury risk and a million other things. Um, you don't have to do that kind of thing this, this soon. And Victor Reyes, no, I, I have no interest in Victor Reyes really. Um, he, you know, he's, he's okay. If he's your backup outfielder plays pretty good defense out there, um, can steal a, ba- a bag for you, but you know, just isn't just isn't any kind of a threat. You know, um, he can hit a little bit, but not for power. And yeah, it's just like, you know, why would why would you bother? You've got you know Victor Reyes under control for years. There's there's no no need to mess with that. Um, I'll feel a lot better about this team when there's no place for someone like Victor Reyes on it. To be honest, um, and yeah. that's not to, not to crush the kid, but uh, you know. <laughs> When you have when you have guys like that that you're still thinking about, that's that's how you know that your roster still um, isn't really major league quality. So, um, Miggy Smalls also wants to know: Is Garden higher the manager of the future? And if which not, is actually who are some of the candidates. question right afterwards. Yeah, so, um, I think we touched on that already. I don't think either of us believe that he is, but I don't know who I would see as being um, 
somebody to replace him off the top of my noggin. It's I know hard. we were both yeah. really pro Gabe Kapler before a lot of stuff came out about Gabe Kapler. Yep. Um, I I mean, I'm still waiting for the Alex Avila management era, quite frankly. Well, if, uh, if Al Avila is still the, you know, the, the general manager, yeah, I mean, the, you know, something like that, like a former catcher coming back, um, you know, I mean, that, that always seems like a possibility. But, but I mean, here's my guy right now, which is Don Kelly. Um, oh. You know, I want Donnie Kelly baby back because, you know, Don Kelly has now coached um, for a bunch of great, you know, very advanced um, teams. You know, he was a coach for the mm-hmm. Astros. Um, he's in Pittsburgh now um, as what they're, they're, I can't remember if he's their, their bench, bench coach. coach or yeah. yeah. Um, he's on that track, you know, he's on that track to become a manager. Um, and, and I think a lot of people around the game think he could be a very good one, you know, kind of in the model of like an AJ Hinch, you know, yeah. hopefully sans cheating and, uh, or uh, yeah. a Craig council. Um, so that that's who I'm, that's the one person oh, I like who him. I like really could be like, yeah, I, I would be in favor of giving that a try just to see see what's up because it feels like, you know, you know, that's one of our guys. And, uh, you know, I, I also have in the back of my head that I just cannot fathom how Will Rhymes is the director of player development for the Dodgers and is just fixing and, you know, improving players left and bleeping right, you know, and, and just churning out this machine of, you know, awesome young talent. Um, you know, how do you lose a guy like that? You know, when we talked about like the minor leagues and how, you know, it's not just about developing players for your major league roster. It's about, you know, developing, you know, coaches and all kinds of, you know, all kinds of people who will work in baseball over the years. Um, those are guys you don't want to slip away from you. And, you know, Don Kelly does seem to be like a guy that a lot of people expect to be a pretty good manager. And yeah, I'd be, I'd be all in favor of trying that as far as like whether or not they're done with Ron Gardenhire. I, I kind of wonder if maybe Ron Gardenhire is kind of done with this. I feel like he's going to retire at the end of this season. I kind of feel like it too. Like this has taken a toll, um, obviously on a lot of the older coaches. I mean, there's, there's a lot of responsibility that they've never had to deal with and like trying to make sure, you know, players are wearing their masks and that they're not going out at yeah. night. Like it's just gotta be like eating on them. It's like babysitting. Yeah. And like, especially cause they're the ones who are, you know, most vulnerable at the same time, you know, yeah. I mean, ugh. I mean, Garden is a cancer survivor. Like, it's, you know, it's it's appalling that, I mean, obviously the Tigers have not been the ones doing this, at least that we've heard. So, I mean, at least there does seem to be some respect there, especially with guys like Garden and Norris both being cancer survivors, even though Norris did have COVID. Um, that it's, you know, I, I just feel like, honestly, when the, the Tigers called the presser to announce the three call-ups, <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, they're not going to do a presser just because of, of Casey Mize, like we, you saw guys like yeah, Nate you know, Pearson got Nate called Pearson. up to the Rays. They didn't, or the Jays, yeah. they didn't do that. Those guys didn't get any kind of press conference. I'm like, it has to be something different. Like it can't just be one hot prospect getting called up. And obviously, it wasn't. It was three. But <laughs> I was at the time. I'm like, I feel like Guardy's just tapped out. I feel like he's like, this is dangerous and it's stupid, and I'm done. Um, and I, I think at the end of this season, he's just gonna take the bow. I think he's gonna be like, no, this is. This is it for me. Yeah, I I could definitely see that. Um, I, you know, I'm sure he would have liked to have been around, you know, f- for all the kids to come up and for the, you know, for Chris Illich to like open his freaking pocketbook and for Alavila to find the, this team some bats. But, you know, does he want to, you know, wait around for three more years until this team is kind of on track to maybe be a contender? No, no, I don't think so either. And I also feel like, 
he he knows full well that Alavila wants him to be the scapegoat. I mean, you know, that that's that's just the other element to this is that that's how that works. Like managers don't necessarily get fired because of anything they did wrong. They get fired because the team played bad and the, you know, the general manager feels like they've got to do something and they're not going to fire themselves. So they fire the manager and then they bring in the next manager and then when that doesn't yeah. work out, that's when the general manager gets fired. Um well, it's it's like giving somebody a bag of gummy bears and asking them to play chess and then firing them because they couldn't successfully get a checkmate. It's, you know, it it's only so much the fault of the managers to a point. Um, but if you don't give them the pieces and you don't give them the finances to get those pieces, you know, it's not you can only blame them so far. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I Ron, think he's Ron a Garner bit... can't make like demands, but if I'm Ron Garner mm-hmm. and thinking about coming back next year, I'm talking to them immediately, you know, like, are you guys going to spend this off season? Like you, you guys have got to get me, you know, three or four bats, you know, big, big ones, like, you know, really legit guys, because we, you know, however good the prospects that we have close to the major leagues turn out, you know, there, there's, there's just not much chance that any of them is going to be an above average hitter other than Paredes. Um, there's a couple other guys, you know, maybe could, could be you know good contributors but it's not really there and yeah if i'm ron gardenhire i'm like you know I, I want some guarantees that i can take all the guys i want from the farm next year and you know they're not going to make those guarantees so yeah no. i mean i think it all adds up to uh to this probably being his last year um so yeah get me donnie kelly baby um i love it and i will stay on on the fire avila train as well <laughs> i would i would you know i'd still be thrilled to see al avila get fired um, and try to move on to a, you know, a younger GM to take this thing over who has like some ambition and isn't, you know, my feeling about El Avila continues to kind of, you know, it, it just feels like they don't want to make decisions and they don't want to do things. They want to wait as long as possible and, and have those decisions made for them, um, yeah. because there's less responsibility. I, I just see that stuff happen to them all the time. Um, you look, you look at the decisions that they don't make, you know, like, you know, Kristen Stewart three years ago. You know, you probably could have traded him for a decent player, um, and maybe you could have flipped that player for someone. You know, now or you'd have a, a decent player. But you know, when you keep a player all through the minor leagues and bring him up to the major leagues, you're saying that you decided that he was going to work out, and they've been wrong about that. Um, there's a couple other guys along those lines, you know, where they they just kind of hung on to him, and you know, it's not like you're going to get a ton, but that's all team building. Like if if a guy's not going to work out, that's your job to know it before other teams do. And flip him for at least something. And yeah, yeah they've failed on that score um, many, many times. So, yeah, I mean, overall, I don't think any of us is still real thrilled with the uh, the administration here. <laughs> um, we it's did not miss terrible. it on the Bloom era, though. Yeah. Red Sox got him first. Yeah, I'm sad about that. Would have loved him. Um, you know, Bloom would have had this team in the playoffs in two years. I'm convinced. So, um, that's just the way it goes, though. Um, at least we can say that Alavila and, you know, his, his organization has have done better. Um, I do think things have come along the past couple of years, but it still just feels like a, a, you know, maybe an average, yeah, maybe an average front office, um, but probably not even that. So give, give him a C plus. Yeah. I mean, we'll see how things go. Like maybe Dan Hubs and Kenny Graham have more impact on player development over the next year. And they actually start developing some guys that we didn't really expect. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe things could change. Either way, I, I assume Alavila is going to be here for at least two more seasons. So you know, he's gonna he's gonna have his chance to prove me wrong. Um, yeah, you can eat your words at some point. We hope, but probably not. Yeah, I would love it if he did. Um, and then possibilities we traded any of our current talent at this year's trade deadline. This is still from Tiger Doc. I mean, I, I yeah, I think we kind of talked about it. That it's really hard to say. Like, I I could see us maybe dealing 
a reliever or, you know, may, maybe somebody wants Jacoby Jones in their outfield and, and is willing to give you a little something for him. Um, I could I could see that, you know. I'd be sad about that. I'd be sad about it, too. Um, you know, he, he's a fun player to watch, but he is what I think he's 28 at least already. Um, you know, mostly be sad about losing Mary. Oh yeah. Well, she is a doll. So yeah, <laughs> that's true. That would be kind of a bummer as well. But, um, yeah, I don't know, you know, maybe something like that, maybe a reliever, maybe, you know, maybe someone wants Buck Farmer, maybe Buck has a, you know, a good couple weeks and someone wants to put him in as like their seventh inning, you know, kind of, kind of one inning guy, um, something like that might happen, but yeah, I don't expect very much. And then the likelihood that Matt Manning gets a chance to make his debut this year. But that's a hard question because I, I see maybe September, but I yeah I don't see before that. Yeah, I could see September like that, him coming up and maybe they put him in the bullpen and try to get him yeah. like because the thing is he doesn't he needs to pitch in games. Um, all these guys need to play some games. You know that that's another problem with the Jake Rogers thing still being stuck there. You know Matt Manning needs to pitch in some damn games. Um, but he's also the least ready. Um, and you know, I, I would have said the same thing about Scooble as well. Like I, I thought both of those guys would probably need more time. Scooble because he was sick and didn't get to camp in time. Manning because, you know, he's a year younger, um, still needs to, to figure out a harder breaking ball and improve his command some more, uh, which I still remain very confident that he will. But, um, yeah, he, he's not particularly ready yet. I actually think you might see Franklin Perez, uh, because he's on the 40 man, um, he looked pretty good this spring. Um, and, you know, if, if he's healthy, you might as well pitch him. You know, you might as well just try because he's been hurt so many times. You know, I, I don't really I don't really know what to expect there um, and, and don't really have any expectations. So, yeah, I mean, if Franklin Perez is, is still throwing the ball pretty well down there and feeling good, like, yeah, I'd, I'd bring him up and put him in the bullpen or something. Um, you know, maybe, I don't know, probably not, but maybe that's a way you could get a, a team interested in, in actually trading for him. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's possible, but yeah, I would definitely like to see him up as well. Um, it's just that, you know, you look at the roster now too, and it's like, who are they really going to cut loose? You know, they, I mean, yeah. they could send, Bur- you know, they can send Burroughs down. They can send Anthony Castro down and back up and down. Um, you know, there's a couple guys, but yeah, I don't know. And, and are they going to cut anyone loose? Um, that, that's, that's, tough to see like most of the bullpen right now I don't really I don't really think they're going to give up on they're probably going to hang on to Kyle Funkhauser and keep trying him um although yeah I don't really think that's going to pay any dividends but so so there's that problem it's like who um you know who gets the ox yeah where where's the space going to come from I'm sure if they want to to bring Matt Manning up and and pitch him or Franklin Perez they'll, they'll they can figure that out um but yeah, there's there's not really like an easy fit for that right now, and it feels like forcing it just a bit. But I'll still say I'll say yes, just to to put it blunt yeah. and simple. I think the Tigers know that these guys should probably pitch in some real games and get their feet wet. Um, the thing about um, Isak Paredes is that he's a guy who I almost, uh, I mean, basically he's a guy who wasn't challenged enough in the minor leagues, and I don't think he's improved as much as he could have um, because he is really really a gifted player. Uh, who can get by on his plate discipline and hasn't really learned to, you know, to to select the right pitches for himself to hit out of the park um, and drive the ball in the air on. Um, and I think facing major league pitching will be really good for him that in that regard. I think, you know, just a little bit of humbling. I love a cocky player. Like, I love a guy yeah. who has confidence like that. But a little bit of humbling, like, okay, I've, you know, it's not going to be easy. I'm really going to have to dial this in is good for him. And I think that might be the case with Matt Manning, too, because he is just kind of like the, you know, the physical specimen um, you hear all of all of his, you know, all the other top prospect pitchers talk about how he's just naturally like better than them and everything else. He's like, 
he's got that you know that kind of vibe of like the the one who's the most naturally gifted athlete and you know Matt Manning works really hard I, I have no doubt about that but he also might be the one who needs to get his fastball hit over the fence about 10 times and realize like okay <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm really, not I'm not the superstar that I think I am yeah I'm really gonna have to work on the secondary stuff so I yeah I'd like to, I'd like to see him up and I, and I think you will and if they're gonna bring him up then yeah they probably should just do that pretty soon because we you know can't do a whole lot worse than we're doing um well I mean what we're, we're... 11 days away from September as it is. Yeah. Yeah. And if they're just going to come out, call them up like, you know, September 15th or something, it's like, yeah, why don't you just bring them up? Yeah. Just mix them in there. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think we probably will see him. I think Franklin Perez is kind of the more interesting, like, oh yeah, maybe, maybe they'll just do that. Like that could be interesting as well. Um, let's see. Maybe he smiles again. I like, I like this, this one. one. Yeah, this is a great one. Uh, um, good. Cause I mean, we just come off a of Tim Anderson run. He wants to know, like who the kind of thorn in the side players are for the Tigers. And I had two that came to mind aside from Tim Anderson, Will Myers being one. And previously Jason Kipnis, when he was with the Indians, he like, he got a read on Tigers for some reason. He seemed to really, uh, really get to them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, someone mentioned Jason Kubel the other day, and I was like, yeah, yep, he was a pain. Um, I mean, Nick Punto. I mean, Nelson Cruz is listed here, too, and obviously, Nelson Cruz, what a nightmare for the Tigers. Yeah, yeah, he might be the most legendary of them all, because some of them came in the postseason. He did with Texas, he did with with Baltimore, Yeah, and then in mid-season with the the Twins. Oh. So yeah, he uh, what a nightmare. I seem to remember Joe. Creedy. And then of course Joe Creedy, Creedy being a total pain. Broke his wrist, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Nelson Cruz. Ah, something else. But yeah, I'll I'll throw like Joe Creedy. Um, for one year with the White Sox, just seemed to have our number. Not because he was just raking, but he just seemed to have the the knack to get the big hit yeah. every time and just drive us nuts. Um, so there's that. Um, did he, he must have mentioned Whit Merrifield. Oh, yeah, I mean, if he didn't... I mean, I, I suggested that there should be some kind of a sponsored charity wrestling match between Tim Anderson and uh, Whit Merrifield for the Ultimate Tiger Killer belt right now because, yeah, the two of them are just just killing the Tigers. Killing Tigers pitching. And, yes, the Cleveland drum guy does get an honorable mention. What's his name? John Smith? Something like that. Oh, oh God, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, that's annoying. It's like it's kind of a cool gimmick in its way, but holy God, I hate I hate that. I hate hearing that. I think I was definitely thinking of Whitney Merrifield when I said Will Myers. So there's that brain. Yeah. Part, right? Okay. Yeah. Definitely Whit Merrifield. Yeah. 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 My mom. My mom. I, I think was strangled. Look up Will Myers and be like, he's done nothing against the Tigers. Like, it's, just, it's like eleven o'clock. Give me a little bit of slack here. Oh yeah, it is later than I thought it was. Um, yeah, we've been going pretty long already. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think my mom would choke out the um, the Cleveland drummer if she had the chance. Like, she hates that worse than anything. She's just like, I hate that goddamn drummer. Um, we already answered, will we win again this year with a definitive yes? Yeah. Um, prospect for prospect. Oh, this is an interesting from Zwood 22 prospect for prospect. If you were a GM, would you consider trading one of our, our top prospects for another teams? And if so, who, um, I don't know. You don't see a lot of those deals and, and I, I really can't imagine that this front office would, would do anything no. like that. Would I consider it like, yeah, maybe, um, it just kind of, you know, it kind of depends on, on what you're looking at. The thing is, though... Is one of those prospects Wander Franco? Okay. Right, right. I mean, yeah, if I can get Wander Franco for Matt Manning, I'd probably have to consider it, even though it would mm-hmm. break my heart. Um, so, yeah, but you're not going to get Wander Franco. You're going to get, like, no. may- maybe, like, Carter Keeboom or Gavin Lux. Uh, I would love to trade for Gavin Lux, but... Um, 
Would I trade Matt Manning to get Gavin Lux? Yeah, I probably would have to think about that pretty seriously. Um, so that might be one. But, uh, but the, you know, the opportunity just isn't really there. Like we said earlier, the, you know, the, the, there isn't really much set up for a substantial trade deadline um, frenzy of any sort. And anybody who's looking is just going to be looking for short-term Major League help right now. So it, it's kind of a moot question. I don't think as a matter of principle you should ever say, like, no, I would never do that. Um, because, yeah, I mean, if you could get... I, I said last, last summer if I could trade, you know, Casey Mize for someone like you know, Gavin Lux or, or maybe like Carter Keyboom, like I'd have to think about it because, you know, Casey Mize is really good, but you also don't really know if he's going to be durable. And when you have a whole lot of pitching prospects, you know, you expect some of them to get injured, but you also have to decide for yourself, like, am I going to just fight through that and just keep everybody? Or are you going to try to get the hitters you want with some of those pitchers and hopefully rehab somebody else's pitchers? Like there's a whole... You know, that's a whole aspect of team building that, that will come up as well. But um, but in the end, yeah, I think this is a moot point because I, I can't imagine Alavila having the stones to, like, you know, trade away a top prospect that he's kind of been no. dragging on for a couple of years um, for someone else's and, and pray that it doesn't go wrong. Because, yeah, I mean, what it, you know, if oh, you trade Matt Manning away and he wins a Cy Young in, like, three years or something like that, you know, you're, um, you're going to hate yourself. It's one thing if you're do, making a deal, you know, a crazy, aggressive deal to win a World Series, but... Like just, getting David Price for giving up Willie Adamas. Yeah, but to uh, to just adjust your roster um, to try to balance out what you need, I, I never really believe in that. And overall, I would just love to emphasize again, like you don't get to the to the World Series by like building a gigantic you know farm system and putting like eight, nine, ten top prospects all in, on the field at the same time. It just never happens that way. Um, nobody does it that way. Um, you know, anybody who says that that's the way to go about it is just stalling, in my opinion. Like, you've got to trade. You've got to trade up. You know, you've got to be good enough to make those kind of deals. Um, Dave Dombrowski did it again and again. And meanwhile, yeah, he kind of gutted the farm system, but there wasn't ever that much there in the first place. And the people who were responsible for that were more Alavila and Chad and you know and and those guys. Um, and that's who mm-hmm. we have left. So. Yeah, in the end, uh, I will just leave it at that. Um, I, and I guess that's about that's about all for the questions. Um, we wanted to talk about two things just because, like, both of them are, are not great, but um, but one of them is almost hilarious in a way because the Fernando Tatis Jr. thing has been wet with, like, a, a, an absolute outpouring of everyone just being like, oh, my God, this is the most eye-rolling nonsense ever, you know? Um, for people who don't know, you know, Fernando Tatis Jr., um, absolute monster shortstop for the um, San Diego Padres, one of the most exciting young players in the game. Um, love, love this dude. Um, he's a lot yeah, of fun to awesome. watch. Um, you know, seems like a great kid, you know, but, ha- you know, and has a lot of fun, you know, with the game. And so, you know, he's gotten a little bit of the like uh, right way guy thing here or there, but nothing too major until he committed the the unforgivable sin, sin of hitting yeah. a grand slam um, in a game. Um, On a field he's a terrible, terrible with person. With a seven-run lead. Yeah. Yeah, he broke so many unwritten rules. <laughs> yeah, oh my God. And he didn't it, just break them, he mad. shattered them. Yeah. Well, no, because everybody was mad for like different reasons. There were multiple vets who were like, no, oh, it's just not done. Because I mean, I think what happened then is that somebody threw at him, right? Like they, it was... they threw at Manny Machado, yeah. Oh, M- yeah. So, yep. so, of course, like there were people like, oh, you know, that's just it. That's how the unwritten rules work. You know, you don't show people up when you're that far ahead. And then, like, 
90% of Twitter, including a huge number of professional baseball players, were like, no, nah, man, you see a pitch you can hit and you think you can get your team further ahead, you take that swing. Yeah, this is the major leagues. Um, it, you know, if you want to get a guy out, get him out, you know. Yeah, pitch better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, almost every, every pitcher and hitter I saw said that. Uh, but the worst thing about it was not just that the Rangers were, you know, whining and complaining about it, um, was the fact that the Padres' own manager, Jace Chengler, you know, went into the press conference af- afterward and apologized for it. Um, and, you know, and made a big point to explain that, well, you know, he just missed a sign there. We were going to have him take it, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Um, and that, that to me is just a disgrace. Like, well, not, right the bus. yeah, I mean, you know, he, he tried to kind of moderate it. Like he just missed a sign rather than like, oh, he meant to do that. But why shouldn't he mean to do that? What is wrong with you idiots? You know, like th- that's the thing where the, the ego, the daintiness sort of, um, of all these you know, like super tough, you know, hard nose, uh, play the right weight guys, you know, all comes out, you know, as a, the total fraud that it is when they're all like, oh, well, you know, you made this guy look bad and hurt his feelings, you know, when you guys were already winning. <laughs> you know, it's like, we would have laughed at everybody when we were kids for that kind of thing, you know, and, and just been like, oh, come on, you know, buck up. You got to play the game out. That's just the way it is. Um, to, to expect major league players to, to kowtow to that is uh, is nonsensical and, and awful. And, yeah, I mean, and it spoiled what should have been a great moment. Um, as, um, you know, old baseball types seem to do fairly often to you know great moments from young players in the game like you know the tut tut crowd has got to come down with their you know thinly veiled you know racist comments or you know they've got to come down and be mad because you know someone you know looked like they were having a good time out there or were telling jokes during a loss like all this kind of crap like none none of this plays to the kids folks at all doesn't play to me doesn't play to anybody you know middle age our age you know who cares about oh, the game God. and wants to see it grow. Um, you don't even get me started. Cause yeah, this is infuriating. Like I, that, that really, really bothers me uh, when people come down on, on players for that stuff. You know, I, I think there is like a slight thing that I'll still have with an excessive celebration where you should at least expect to get it rubbed back in your face. Um, but I don't have any problem with, you know, hitters pimping home runs, throwing yeah. their bat around, having a great time. Just don't have a problem when pitchers punch you out and you know fist pump and you know and, yeah. and yell and get excited the gods, like max scherzer yeah um but no it's like and i think a nice counterbalance to what happened with tatis is that you look at what david martinez said about juan soto and he said to, to the press he's like yeah he does like that little shuffle thing but i guess what what they told what he told soto is like if anybody gives you problems with that you send them to me yeah. and i'll be the first person to deal with it because he sees the value i think in that level of excitement when you have a player that's that good and let the guy do a little celebratory shuffle if he gets a home run like you yeah. know like I, I think that's a difference in management styles and i think as a result you're going to see players happier to be with that team yep and the, I mean, and it's all just kind of a part. That's that's great to hear. I hadn't actually heard that, but it is all just of a part of baseball's, you know, really I think pretty dangerous split between like trying to get you know more people in into the sport before it just dies with the people who are fifty five, you know, and up who, you know, and this doesn't apply to everybody. Certainly, um, I mean, I know a bunch of older baseball fans who are, you know, would totally agree with everything we're saying on that score. But there are a lot, and a lot of them run teams, and a lot of the people who run teams, a lot of the people who are broadcasters, a lot of the, you know, the the sort of, you know, the club of um, of the old boys network in baseball 
doesn't see things the same way that obviously has worked for like the NBA, um, NFL, you know, all these, mm-hmm. all the other leagues have, have understood that, you know, there's a new generation in charge and it's their game. And MLB will come out with this stuff like let the kids play, you know, all these slogans. Um, they've done better with social media and the social media people, I'm sure, you know, are, are, are probably on board with all this as well. But there's still just that part of baseball that cannot let go of this sort of like hard man old guy you know nonsense that that comes yeah, the, up too often the nonsense of play the right way absolutely because like what way is the right way if not to win and have fun yeah like I, I just you know and it and that's the thing and the other thing you know a lot of people have pointed out about the unwritten rules is that they it tends to come up a lot more when the player is not white and um mm-hmm. you know some of you out there won't won't want to hear that and obviously like some people like bryce harper did take a lot of take a lot of guff, but how many times have we had to hear this kind of crap about like Manny Machado or Yasiel Puig or now Tatis mm-hmm. Jr. It, it just, or Jose Fernandez or Juan Ro- Soto, your Donald Ventura yeah. or yeah. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Tim Anderson. It's not just your game. You know, it's everybody's game and you're going to have to freaking deal with it because that's the way it is. And that's the way it's going to be. Absolutely. Yeah. Let, let the kids play indeed. Thank you. All right, and that brings us to uh, the the unfortunate uh, other the moment. last and ugliest bit. Yeah, which was um, Cincinnati Reds broadcaster, longtime baseball broadcaster, does football um, as well. Although I I just saw that the NFL had apparently banned him um, now from doing games as well. Um, it's, what's his name? It's uh, Tom, Tom Brennan Brennan. Brennan. Yeah, um, Cincinnati Reds broadcaster um, was caught on a on a hot mic um, in what was supposed to be, I assume, being a commercial break. I'm um, using a homophobic slur, um, kind of referred to, was he referring to Kansas City or something? I believe he was speaking about, I think he was speaking about Kansas City and referred to it as being a blank capital of the world or something like that. Yeah, yeah, like like the homosexual capital of word, but slur. Right. So, I, I mean, it was it was awful. And of course, it went right out on the air um, during the broadcast. And then there was this bizarre pause um, for, I think, a couple innings um, with with Terrell over. I think it was between games because it was a double header I don't think he apologized until the second game no no but I but there was like a, a point where they went off the air basically oh, okay. like they like you were just yeah. watching the game and no one was talking for a couple innings and so people were already realizing like oh yeah they're in uh full 100% damage control mode they're behind the scenes and then yeah he came out and and did what often happens in this case is that you know he, he kind of like tried to hide behind his faith, um, didn't really apologize, like referred to himself as a man of faith, you know, kind of apologized for making the comment. He but, apologized uh, to the people that signed his checks. Yeah, I mean, he's like, I don't know if you'll I'll see this headset again or if you know Fox or whoever is going to let me back, but you know, sorry to the people that I you know that signed my checks. Yeah, didn't apologize to the people. This hurts. Um, you know, and using that kind of slur, I mean, for people who are who aren't thinking about it this way, like you just have to you just have to realize, like, to any any person, you know, who's been called that, you know, when they're younger, like that's a sign that you're about to get your ass kicked. You know, that that's a sign of violence mm-hmm. when you hear that. Like, um, the triggering for a lot of people out there um, was just kind of awful to witness on Twitter, having to you know having to process that, like, while you're literally watching like the sport that you love. And for him to kind of come out there and not even really make any serious attempt to apologize, but just kind of be like, you know, oh, I made a mistake and, you know, I'd like to apologize to the people I work for and yeah, I'm just trying to keep I my am. job here. That's not who I am. Yeah, I mean, it is who you are. It is you, who you are. You said it. 
you thought nobody could hear you, but you said it. And the things that you say when you think nobody's listening are the real you. Yeah. And the fact is, like, it wasn't um, just no one listening. It was, you know, sitting. he was at work, for God's sakes. You know, his producer's mm-hmm. there. Like, what kind of environment is it where that, you know, well, you know, that's the kind of thing we only would say off the air. Um, you know, between all of us here in the booth, apparently, um, where that's okay. Um, you know, whatever goes on in people's, you know, homes, you just don't know about. But, yeah, to kind of come out and be like, oh, I would never do that. And then he was trying to say, you know, today. He said he didn't understand yeah. that it was, like, rooted in hatred and violence. And I'm like, how? I'm like, I don't believe that you didn't know what that word meant and what the weight of that word meant. Like, you can't. You're. You're a man, a grown-ass man, and you know what that word means. You wouldn't have used it in that context if you didn't know what it meant. And for you to be apologizing now means you absolutely understand the gravitas of it. You didn't just look it up afterwards and go, oh, gee, that's why the internet's mad at me. Like, you weaponized the word. We all heard the tone. We all heard the tone in his voice when he said it. Yeah. Wasn't, 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 you know, joking or, or like a random comment that he, you know, was mistaken in. He absolutely knew. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like somebody who says for all intensive purposes, because they don't know what the phrase means or is supposed to be right. Like it's, he understood exactly what he was saying and to claim otherwise, just, it, it makes him believe that everybody's stupid enough to believe it. And and it's also uh, gaslighting and insulting yeah. to to everyone who you know who was hurt by it, um, including any you know not not just the the gay community like anybody like it you know, um, you know this is all our game you know and it kind of goes back to the subject we were just talking about you know that you just can't have this like you know young people aren't are not going to put up with this um, old guy nonsense um, you know the, this you know to be perfectly honest like this right wing like you know kind of radical. Uh, you know, religious perspective on that issue and a very misguided one, um, mm-hmm. as a, as a fellow Christian. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that, that just can't keep happening. You know, I mean like the stuff that comes out of like, you know, Kurt Schilling and some of these former players who have like made it their, their living to be a, you know, a professional QAnon troll or whatever. <sighs> um, you know, these people just need to be shut out of the game. You know, I mean, people are entitled to their opinions, but they're not entitled to um, not suffer the any consequences. Of yeah, no. or not, or just from suffering consequences for them publicly. So, you know, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, hate, like, I don't hate Tom Brennan. I mean, I, I hope that he would actually like take this and reflect on his values, um, and and rather than trying to hide behind um, them, he'll but, probably just lean into it and say cancel culture cost him his exactly. job. That, that's what I expect. And but you know, I, the whole I, thing I, sounded like job saving and and nothing more, nothing sincere. I I gotta say props to Amir Garrett and to Matt Bowman, who were both pitchers for the Reds, obviously, who came out within minutes of the game ending to be like, no, this doesn't reflect our values and this doesn't reflect who we are as a team and who we how we feel about our fans. And like they were both very adamant that there's a place for everybody to love baseball. Yeah, and I thought that that was just been on a real one since uh, this whole year. I I really, uh, really, I I mean, I love him. Yeah, you I, just know I, he's a I really big, intimidating, scary pitcher, and it's like, oh, he's also awesome. That's cool. Yeah. You would love to see he's like some of the big team. names, like your Joey Votto's, but Joey Votto's not on Twitter, so to have that level of exposure, it's not there because he's not on social media. Like, I, I feel like, I mean, I can't speak for Joey Votto because I don't know him, but based on what I've seen of him in the past and the responses he's had to things, you have to believe that that's not reflective of his values either. So, but here we are again too, with like, you know, the players, like, um, you know, 
obviously understanding the situation and expressing the right sentiment and, you know, the league and like, you know, the, the Reds, you know, ownership, did we hear anything, you know, direct or, or overt from them? Or was it just like no, a little statement the on media, Twitter? It was like abhorrent. And I mean, the, the PR message was, was clear, but yeah. you would love to see something more, um, more direct. Yeah. So. And it shouldn't fall to the players. Like I, I, we had a discussion about this, you know, privately in the, the MLB Slack channel, but like it, it, Yes, some of those players are so ingrained in the culture of that team that they become spokespeople for the team. Right. But the guys who are leaders, yeah. It shouldn't be up to Amir Garrett to to right the wrongs of Tom Brenneman. Like it it shouldn't be up to a guy who's, you know, ten or like twenty years younger than the guy who fucked up, pardon my French. Um to to make it right for the people the that guy are, who's the guy whose literal job it is to communicate <laughs> i don't think tom brenneman understands the weight of it i don't i think he knows what the word means but i don't think he understands just how hard it is for people in that community to hear that and hear a broadcast while they're just trying to watch baseball in one of the hardest times in life you know yeah, like there was a really painful twitter thread um from a guy who was basically talking about you know yeah, how much it hurt him and how, how it was extra, you know, extra painful because Tom Brenneman was like the voice of his childhood. You know, it was like the guy who, you know, he went to sleep listening to. It was like this familiar grandfatherly figure and voice. And then to hear that, you know, just, you know, out of the clear blue sky, you know, when you're a grown man and going through, you know, whatever struggles he went through coming out and, you know, and having to make all those tough choices and putting up with bullying and God knows what else. And then to have that, you know, I mean, like, imagine if Ernie Harwell, like, suddenly just called you a slur on the radio, mm-hmm. you know, when, when he was, like, 80, you know, like, um, I don't know, it, it was it was a it was a very powerful Twitter thread, I can't remember exactly where it is um, right now, but I read it earlier, and yeah, I mean, it really, it really did bring the whole thing home, so, yeah, I mean, just, just very, uh, just very unfortunate, you know, um, Mr. Brenneman will have to, you know, search his own soul if he can and and i don't think we're going to be hearing from him ever again but this this needs to be something that again like we go beyond like just blaming the person who did it and and using it instead just to like make the point again and again like everybody needs to get this point like baseball obviously society needs to get this point but baseball in particular needs needs to get this point um they've they've got to kind of move past this uh this antiquated you know network of of people who are associated with it who are constantly you know up you know basically attacking the you know attacking the fans attacking you know the people that we would like to be fans and and be welcome at baseball games and and be a part of baseball's future and and Mm -hmm. these guys as they're going out as they're already old and on their way out are not just not doing anything to help um, in that regard, but there there's been too many cases where they're actually you know actively hurting it, um, and mm-hmm. it really sucks. So, you know, whatever. It's an it's just an unfortunate situation. Obviously, you know, this these are the kind of things that happen sometimes, and I, there's been a lot worse that's happened this year. But um, but just so so damn disappointing. Yeah, I'm sorry to uh, yeah we have to kind of kind of end on a on a drag, but. Um, this, these points just need to keep being hammered home until you know people wake up or are you know are just shunted aside. Like, sorry if that's that's what it takes. That's what it takes. So, well, let's uh, finish on a positive note. Are you reading anything good right now? Um, yeah, but it's uh, it's not all that positive. <laughs> it's a 
it's a book called uh, A Game of Birds and Wolves, which is um, about the, oh. U-boat, the U-boat war in World War II um, and this group of women oh. who basically developed this, this aspect of game theory to, um, to kind of predict where the wolf packs would be and to find the best routes for ships to go through. Which doesn't sound, I mean, I, I like history and I've read tons of World War II stuff and a little bit of um, the submarine war stuff, but it's actually been uh, fascinating because it really kind of ties together a whole bunch of different um, aspects of it. Like on land, like the effects, you know, of the war, of the U-boat war on shipping and, you know, how, which anybody who's read a lot about World War II already knows about the tonnage war and how important it was, you know, for America to be supporting Britain um, before we entered the war and all that kind of stuff. But um, but this is a, a little aspect of it that um, is fascinating. And he's weaving it in, you know, between like pretty good biographies of the different U-boat commanders and different, you know, individuals who are in there. Um, and a lot of histor- popular historians have gotten better about this um, over the last 20 years, I'd say, with really integrating like a lot of narratives. Um, it's like they've been reading David Larilla from Fangraphs and um, and 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 got that approach going a little bit for themselves. So that that's been pretty good. Um, so that's that's about it. I'm also reading this book, Punishment Without Crime, um, but I only got about halfway in and kind of put it down before vacation. I haven't come back to it by Alexandra um, Natapoff, Punishment Without Crime. But it's all um, about you know basically the subtitle: How Our Massive Misdemeanor System Traps the Innocent and Makes America More un- Unequal. Um, and that's, um, that's been really, uh, obviously relevant and also pretty fascinating because it's something that like I touch on, uh, local government in, um, in my, my everyday job. And, um, it, it's something that kind of comes up there when you talk about like millages and where like, um, you know, ticket money goes, you know, goes to, um, like the, the kind of, we, we do kind of refer to it as like the skim. Um, and it's kind of all about how, you know, like the skim affects, um, you know, poor people far more than anyone else and how it can kind of entrap people in, you know, just cycles of poverty that eventually lead to, you know, just endless small encounters with the criminal justice system that eventually, you know, just destroy lives. And um, that, that's something that goes on a lot. And uh, it's been really, really well written and researched from what I can tell so far. <laughs> so I would recommend that to everybody um, as something to sink your teeth into. Um, not necessarily like the most fun book, but um but it's been well written and like um, with enough anecdotes that it that it's super compelling. So yeah, that's been good too. How about nice. yourself? Got anything going? Yeah, um, my book club and I have kind of refocused. We my book club and I do one book a month, and then you know I read whatever else on top of that. Um, and so we've switched our focus for the rest of the year to only read black authors. Um, and then next year we're going to do a mix of um, by POC authors. Um, but I just finished reading My Sister the Serial Killer by Oyen Khan Braithwaite. And um, it's really good. Like it reads almost like poetry. Her style is really incredible. And it's such a like it's a a one sitting kind of read. It's very quick and easy to get through. And it's just kind of like funny and dark and compelling um, and really good. I highly recommend it. Um, And then I just in the mail today from beautiful British book depository received my copy of Madeline Miller's The Song of Achilles. Um, and I'm very excited to jump into that because she wrote Circe, um, two years ago and, oh, it was was the best book I read last year. Yeah, that was was really good. I did read that one. What was it? Yeah, I loved it so much. Um, Madeline Miller. Miller. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she has another one called Song of Achilles. So I picked that one up and I'm very excited to read it as well. She kind of does, I mean, for anybody who's keen on it, they're not retellings retellings of mythology, but they're kind of like deep dives into the characters. So 
like Cersei was obviously about the the I don't know if Cersei was a demigod or if she was a she wasn't a muse, but um she was like I think she's she's a witch. Well, I mean, she gets referred to as a witch, essentially. But she um, is referred to as a witch. She was best known for turning sailors into pigs. Um, But it's a fascinating, like, dive into like the heartbreak and misery that led her there, and the depths of the family. So it's really like it takes the the surface levels of mythology, and then just crafts these beautiful, lyrical, um, wonderful t- stories about the characters that really make you care about them. Um, I I do audiobooks a lot too, and I really recommend Cersei as an audiobook. It's read by a beautifully voiced British woman who will just suck you right in. Awesome. Well, you know, the other thing too about that is like, like it, I kind of felt like. It's an, you know it's not like wicked, but it's sort of like that thing where you you revisit a classic story from a yeah. whole new perspective, um, and and the characters that you you kind of looked at one way and and weren't really fleshed out really get fleshed out. So yeah, yeah, it was cool. I did, I did yeah. enjoy that. Oh, I've got another true crime one for you too that oh. I, I already Ooh. finished. Um, it's called The Last Stone by Mark Bowden. Um, Mark okay. Bo- Mark Bowden wrote the book Black Hawk Down and a lot of other pretty famous nonfiction books, but it's all about this um this child abduction and murder um, that happened in Virginia in the seventies that was never solved. And how like 30 years later, like a cold case team um, basically like got this lead and, and kind of just stumbled into who it was. And it's all these interviews um, between him and this one in particular, really veteran investigator um, and uh, interview interviewer or interrogator, I guess. Um, and how they kind of played with each other and um, ultim- ult- 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 ultimately took him down. Um, and that was really good, really well written. Um, and all the Man. conversations just build um, all this all this tension and you're kind of reading like the little lies in each statement. And they had all the transcripts yeah. so he could reconstruct all the conversations um, perfectly. Um, that was that was pretty damn good as well. I just added it to my library polls, so all right. that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I see that's a happier, I mean, none of the content is very happy, but it's yeah. a little bit more of an upbeat ending than what we had going on. Yeah, it's all right. When I when I'm reading, I mean, you know, it's sometimes some of it's for fun. Most most of it's pretty serious. But I actually, um, I did some fishing up north, which I haven't really done. I haven't really been fishing a whole lot in quite a while. So I need to read a little bit more about fishing. <laughs> I've got to get some more knowledge. Like I know what to use on like bass, and that's what we were fishing for. But I kind of got the bug a little bit again. And uh, my my relatively new um, brother-in-law is a big fisher guy. So. Uh, that, that's where our bonding is starting to come from. So I'm going to try to lean in, lean in there and uh, get some fishing knowledge and maybe read a few things. Um, he's a big reader as well. So I'll maybe, I don't know. He likes to fly fish. So I've been thinking as you go back and read uh, a river runs through. I was going to say, yeah. just gonna and then there's a million fly fishing. Books. Yeah. Like fly fishing <laughs> is just, it's like, it, you know, there's a certain like yeah, r- literary quality to, uh, to writing about that subject as there yeah. often has been with baseball as well. So yeah, I might, uh, I might try to dig in there a little bit as well. Nice. Yeah. All right. Um, I think that's going to wrap it up for tonight. Um, we will presumably be back next week, um, after a whole bunch of tiger victories, um, to <laughs> bask in that glory. Um, we've been kind of talking about this. I don't know. We, we, we might kind of, um, bring some of the staff on like individually, like maybe we'll just have like a couple people on, I don't know, towards as the, the season progresses, just kind of to like introduce you to some of the, the people whose names you see, but you don't actually um, ever hear from. So I don't know, we, we might look for some of that. Um, and I'll have um, some more episodes. Um, I, Mark and I are going to probably do another one next week um, and kind of look a little bit more in depth at like what will happen at the trade deadline. So we'll probably be doing that. Um, and actually, uh, I know you got a million things to do, but what else, uh, what else you got going on this week? 
Uh, I'm opening a sticker store. That's my new weekend challenge. I'm going to sell a lot of baseball themed stickers. Um, so once that goes live, I'll share it. But it's I, I still have to get everything. I, I went all in on it this week. Like I bought like the die cutter and um, all of the stuff I need. So oh, man. <laughs> I just oh, awesome. randomly decided I was going to open an Etsy store to sell stickers. <laughs> um, so that is where I'm at. Uh, I'm planning on getting some episodes edited for the YouTube channel to hopefully have something up next week. Um, and <clears throat> sorry. And since I've apparently rediscovered what makeup is because I've had to go into the office a bit more, um, I will probably film some new stuff. I would like to do kind of a rundown of all of what's happened this year um, kind of video because it has been a very busy year for only being a month old. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's, that's sort of where I'm at right now. Right on. Um, um, and then, yeah, yeah. the usual. Yeah. Yeah. You can, uh, you can also find, uh, Ashley's, you know, writing, editing and everything else. Um, also at, you know, D Ray's Bay, um, over at, uh, Bleed Cub Blue. Cubby Blue. Yeah. <laughs> like a whole bunch of places. Yeah. So there's always that going on. Um, so yeah, follow Ashley, um, at 90 feet from home on Twitter. Um, all the ventures and, uh, pieces will be coming your way there. And, um, yeah, if you, uh, if you're interested, please uh, pick up one of the new shirts, um, that you'll find on our front page, um, from Breaking Tea. We'd love it if you'd do that. Um, either way, we just thank you all for listening and sticking with us. Um, you know, the rest of the season is going to be about watching the young kids. So, you know, settle in, keep your expectations low, and, uh, we'll talk to you soon. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley, have a good night. You too.